Hey everyone, just a reminder, if you're enjoying the show, consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Reviews help us move up in the search rankings so we can reach more cyclists. You can also support us by sharing our podcast with your friends or on social media. Thanks for listening. Here's the episode. Welcome back to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Todd Norwood here with my co-host, Jason Hammond. Hey Todd, how's it going? It's going well. What do we have on deck today, Jason? So I'm going to start this episode by saying that we are going to be talking about some male-specific parts and their associated health. If anyone is uh, listening with their child who doesn't you know, want us to be talking about that, or if you are listening with your mother either, uh, maybe, uh, maybe check out this episode a little bit later. You know, there's just a fair warning. I, our podcast is safe for work, except maybe this episode is, has some health-related uh, topics. And we're not, we're not talking about saddles. Or are we talking about saddles? No, we're talking about micronutrients. So this builds off of the last episode, which was on macronutrients. So the, the big key, uh, larger volume foods that we eat. And this one's going to be on foods that you have to use a good scale to measure when you put them in your body. And we're actually going to do it through kind of a corollary. So it'll be a bit roundabout, but we'll get there eventually. So trust me on this one, but let's see, let's get the, uh, the easy stuff out of the way. So the micronutrients that our body uses, they are used in very small quantities. These are measured in IUs or milligrams, really small values. And anything over hundred milligrams, it starts to become a macronutrient. And it's really hard to kind of explain how small a milligram is, but it's small. One one thousandth of a gram, right? Yeah, and uh, a gram is already almost too small to really, you know, wrap your head around. I would say. So one thing that we know is that a lot of these micronutrients they'll facilitate essential functions within the body, and we know that because they found people who didn't have these micronutrients, and and they figured out what was wrong with them, basically, and and they were able to write down their symptoms, and that helped us better understand. Oh, this thing helps with this specific task. So realizing that we need to hit these certain micronutrients in order to ensure our body is functioning properly. We also know that absorption rates of these micronutrients are affected by some foods and supplements that we may be taking at the same time. And that could be a consideration. Specifically in episode 26 and 27, we talked about supplements and we talked about some nutrients that a cyclist should focus on and some potential um, exogenous intake of those that could improve your performance. So I would ask you to check those out, check those two episodes out if you want to hear about specific micronutrients. We're gonna focus on understanding how micronutrients fit into the system on a larger scale. So specifically from the How to Dope episode, Todd, if you remember that, our first drug that we talked about, or maybe it was the second, was testosterone. And we know that there's a big performance benefit for cyclists, uh, you know, decreased fat mass, uh, increased muscle product, you know, force production, some good stuff. And then at the same time, some not so good stuff. If you take too much, there were some health related issues, some heart and stroke related issues. And it got me thinking, is there a natural way for us to boost our testosterone levels? And uh, Todd, the joke here is I could just look in my spam folder of course, to get some, oh, most, uh, most certainly you could. Uh, I get a lot of emails about natural ways to boost my testosterone, um, but I actually opted for the Google Scholar option. 
and decided to look at some research papers on the topic rather than my email. So one thing to know is that testosterone, it's produced largely in the testes, if you want to connect the dots there, testes, testosterone, and you know, there's some common Latin root, and specifically the, the studies of interest are on hypogonadism, which is poor function of the gonads, and we're going to focus on male hypogonadism, and uh, this is actually a concern in a lot of countries because there's decreasing population numbers and they're worried about male infer infertility as a potential cause. Um, I think Japan is the best example of a country that has a decreasing population and uh, so it's, it's easier to get government funding if this is a, a concern for your country. Fair, fair enough. And so the research is mostly in mice and what they do is they associate low testosterone levels with uh, a higher chance of having infertility. And so they'll use testosterone as a metric for sexual health. And uh, that's convenient then we can just, you know, look at serum testosterone levels and, and then get an idea of the health of these mice. And so some interesting studies that came from Google Scholar, we have uh, strange Strange females increase plasma testosterone levels in male mice. We have winning fights elevates testosterone levels in California mice. Female-induced sexual arousal increases testosterone levels in male mice. And then the last one, garlic supplementation increases testosterone in mice. And so here I am thinking about, okay, natural testosterone boosting. We can either you know go to a bar with the cycling team we can uh, win some fights, do some fight club stuff as a team, um, but you wouldn't want to lose a fight because that wouldn't give you the boost. Cause injury and stress and other other things that aren't good yeah, so for your we, we have testosterone. All these, and then also going out to the bar and drinking, that's not going to improve your performance either. So we have these things that are not as ideal as option number four, garlic supplementation and, and its improvement in your testosterone levels. And um, so to get back to micronutrients in general, well, we know that some food, specifically at this point, we know garlic has an effect on our testosterone levels. And so I dug in deeper and we found another study that looked at other foods. It was a review and it looked at a bunch of studies on different foods. And just to list them out, I have green tea, carrots, garlic, ginger, capsaicin, which is the chemical that makes food spicy. Cinnamon, pepper. Yeah. yep. Uh, cinnamon, flaxseed, parsley, pumpkin seed, onions, and sesame seeds all had some benefit in rooster, mice, other mammals. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to extrapolate this a bit. And Todd, let me know if if I've kind of gone too far. But I think these foods that are listed are you know they're all natural foods. They're all you know kind of vegetable based, and basically the summary I came to, I was reading through this, I just said, eating a variety of healthy natural foods improves your organ health. Like in general, this isn't about testosterone. This is about food just making our body work better. I think that's fair. I don't see any problem with that. I, that's the way I was taught nutrition in terms of maybe the caveats around the different studies and my instructor always would say, well, now you can look and we know if you have a vitamin C deficiency, for example, you're at risk of developing scurvy. We know this from British sailors way back when. This is why the British Navy is called the Limeys because they gave them limes to prevent scurvy. Fantastic. 
what we don't know a lot about is all the interactions that come from eating foods. We don't know what's happening when I have pumpkin seeds or flax seeds or carrots or garlic, but probably something good and probably something more powerful than just the vitamin extracted on its own. So I'm on board with this argument. All right. So the idea here is, you know, this story about testosterone is really about improving our organs. So for cyclists, we need good liver function. We need good kidney function. We need good heart function. We need our muscles to work properly. All of these things need to be functioning at full capacity if we're going to get the most performance out of ourselves. And, you know, I listed off all these foods that specifically were linked to testosterone, but what about foods that are linked to liver function? What about foods that are linked to kidney function? And what was so interesting about the review on these foods that boosted testosterone was they also included non-sexual health benefits of these foods. And all of them had some liver, kidney, uh, blood factors. They, had, they all had something else about the body that you know, made our body better because they were consumed. And the big summary here is just eat them all. Eat a bunch of, of these really healthy foods, nutrient-dense foods, and your body will start to work better. And I think the unique thing about all those foods is, at least from you going through that list and knowing what I know, I couldn't say to you that there was one common thread between them. There were some seeds, sure, they have certain fats, maybe they have omega-3s or omega-6 fats that are possibly helpful there. But then there were some vegetables that don't have those sorts of fats, but maybe they have a, a certain vitamin or mineral in them. So I think the thing for me is it wasn't that you listed off a bunch of foods that clearly have some common link. Of, oh, yes, all these foods have nutrient X in them, and it's really nutrient X that's driving. But rather, it was a list of relatively common foods that you might consume and not necessarily a common thread of what nutrient that was driving there. Well, I think the biggest thing, you said there was no connection between them. I would argue the connection here is that none of these foods are processed. They didn't That's say they didn't say goldfish. They didn't say, you know, uh, Krispy Kreme donuts. They said green tea, carrots. You know, these are fruits from the ground. And mm -hmm. a lot of them aren't you know, processed meat or uh, meat in general, but all of them come from something that's grown. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is the nutrient density of these natural foods is higher. And on top of that, the argument I want to make is eating these foods improves our micronutrient profile, improves the, the quality of our body by giving us all these micronutrients that we need. And it's really fascinating because there are so many micronutrients, and although there are only some that are sort of recognized by the government nutritional body as being essential, uh, you know, these are the things we know that if you don't have these, you're going to start to see dysfunction within your body. And, uh, you know, things like B vitamins, A vitamins, all these different vitamins that we normally know, um, even things like sodium, magnesium, calcium. These micronutrients, if you don't have them, you, you will start to see issues. But there are other micronutrients, such as uh, carotenoids and phytochemicals, um, such as polyphenols, um, amines, terpenoids, lycopene, beta-carotene. These 
micronutrients, you're going to be okay without them. But also studies have shown that they, they help our body work better. And I think that's really the idea. If we want to understand micronutrients as cyclists is the truth is we don't really understand well enough what's going on at this level. We don't really understand how onions, you know, improve our ability to, you know, our, our body's ability to function, but we know that it does. And how do we hit all of these different areas? How do we get all these different chemicals in our body rather than saying, oh, you should eat blueberries for this reason, or, oh, you should take a supplement of calcium for this reason. It's if we just try our best to get a bunch of high nutrient density foods and we include them in our diet, our body's going to work better. And I think as cyclists, we have a unique opportunity. If we're training at a high volume, we need to eat a lot of food. Now, some of these nutrient-dense foods do require some work to eat, especially some of those vegetables and leafy green vegetables I'm thinking of in particular. Some jaw muscle work that has to happen there. But we have a unique opportunity because we have a high caloric demand and we can therefore consume a lot of these nutrient-dense foods to fill that demand and really benefit from all the different micronutrients that are in these different foods. Yeah, I would say one thing that's important is managing the fiber count and managing the total volume of the foods. But I think it's important to include these foods. And it's so easy for cyclists. And I remember um, Alan Lim in his um, Feed Zone Cookbook book, he says, I was working with a pro team and one of the riders pulled a bowl, a bowl down to eat cereal for dinner. And it's like, fine, like th there's some protein in the milk and the cereal is mostly carbs. Like you're hitting the macronutrients, but it's not really a meal. It's not really dinner. And he wasn't saying specifically focusing on the micronutrients. He was saying, you know, more generally just having this full meal that really hits all the points. But I think it's important to say we can hit our macronutrient levels and not hit our micronutrient levels. And so it's mm -hmm. not so easy just to say, eat a bunch of carbs. I say eat a bunch of carbs all the time, but we should be thinking about how do we include these other foods in our diet as well. And I think that's a key point is you can get there, you can hit and have the energy in theory, but it might not have taken full advantage of, I guess the way I think about it is making the most of those calories in the sense of what do they come with? Is it straight sugar and it has nothing, no other nutritional value? Or is it a, a yam, for example, and it's full of vitamin A and potassium and other things that you need and are helpful for your body's function? Yeah, I always think it's funny when um, they talk about like classical French riders, right? Um, the, the trope is they just eat baguettes all day. You know, what do we need? Oh, we just need a lot of bread and that'll get us through. And it's like, well, no, I think you need a lot of vegetables. I think you need a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of bright colored foods. We know that a lot of times the color in the food is caused by the nutrient density being higher. Uh, for like red peppers, the red color is, is caused by, um, I forget which vitamin specifically, but one of the vitamins in the pepper makes it red. Um, and so looking at bright colored food is a good starting point to find these nutrient dense foods. And the other trick is don't just eat only red peppers. 
you have to have five or ten different go-to vegetables or go-to uh, high-density foods that you regularly you know, rotate into your diet to make sure you get as many of these micronutrients as you can. And beta-carotene is orange, by the way. Even when you take extract out of spinach, it's hmm. still orange. It's, it's in there. Um, yay, college chemistry classes. Yeah, and so speaking of colors, and um, I guess we will get a little more specific now. I know spinach, one of the big reasons why spinach is beneficial is the magnesium content in the chlorophylls. The chlorophylls have... Um, the molecule, it's naturally green, but the center element in the molecule is a magnesium atom. And so I think it's something like 70% of the people in the world have low magnesium levels. And so when you eat the spinach, you get, since it's dark, that means there's more chlorophyll. And so there's more magnesium and you get that magnesium and it just makes your body function better. And so there are all these people who really respond well to spinach like well it's because it has the micronutrients you need for your body to work better and it worked for popeye yeah that's that's what further validation do we need so i do have a short list of um, foods that come to mind for me specifically i think pumpkin seeds are great they've been shown to be really healthy i have the hold the ones without the shell um and i i think roasted is, is a little bit healthier but Pumpkin seeds are a great option. They're uh, like a quarter cup is one serving of fat. And so uh, for lunch, you can just include that in your food. There's also avocados, which are a great option. They give us a variety of micronutrients. Also fat-based. And that's something that if we're not going to eat a lot of fat because we're focusing on maximizing our carb stores, we want to make sure that we get as many of these fat-soluble micronutrients as possible. So if you're not going to eat too much fat, eat high nutrient density fat like these pumpkin seeds or these avocados. I also like to have garlic. I try and put garlic on everything, especially after reading the article about how um, garlic can improve testosterone levels. But I try to have garlic on my food every night. So a lot of my food is like potato based or even rice based foods. You can um, slip some garlic into those. Onions, those also made the list. Onions are incredibly healthy. And actually, I I think I have a funny story. Um, there is this um, cycling nutrition book from the mid 90s that I somehow acquired. It was recommended to me by a coach, I believe. And they were describing nutrient density of foods, specifically micronutrient density. And they had a list from worst to best of the foods. And actually, I believe the best option they had was sweet potatoes. And that's because of, uh, I believe, vitamin K. There's a lot of vitamin K in. Um, in yams or sweet potatoes and they actually had onions as the least nutrient dense vegetable and they basically said there's no reason to eat onions it doesn't provide any micronutrient value and since the mid 90s we've learned so much about phytochemicals which are uh, chemicals that are from plants and our understanding of what a micronutrient is and what a health food is has completely changed since then and the truth is we don't actually still don't really know all these benefits and why they help us but i think this is just such a great example of the change in our understanding of nutrition that's happening right now as we speak and we don't have all the answers but we know onions are are more beneficial than they were than people thought they were in uh, in 1995. so you know uh, an onion and a sweet potato are different things right yeah, or you mean a yam and a sweet potato? Yeah, a yam and a sweet potato. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think I, I just meant their micronutrient profile, I believe is but quite similar. I think they're somehow they are commonly uh, swapped for one another. They are not the same thing. The yam is the orange one. Okay. It looks similar from the outside. A sweet potato has more golden flesh to it. So I actually, if we're going to talk about this, I don't eat sweet potatoes because I, I don't prefer the texture. I'm, I'm giving up that one micronutrient source, but I do focus on these ones on our list and I actually prefer regular potatoes. And so it is at the same time, if we're looking for references, it is okay to swap out some of these vegetables that are just not your preference. So the last two I have on my list are spinach, and I've already talked about that, and uh, bell peppers also are very easy for me to integrate into my meals. So I like to, uh, those, it's just easy to get more vegetables and more nutrient density in my food with, with bell peppers. So Todd, I didn't know if you had a list off the top of your head. I did not ask you to prepare anything, but I'm, I'm sure you have a few key foods. Yeah, so interestingly, growing up, I hated broccoli, but I've grown to appreciate it now. Broccoli has a particularly high calcium content. So broccoli for me is a, a go-to. It's a very easy food, in my opinion, to cook. You can steam it pretty easy, get it done real quick. You can, if you're like me and lazy, you put it right over the top of the rice cooker and steam it right there. Whoa. Boom, done all, all in one. Very efficient. So I like, I like broccoli. Uh, that particularly has high calcium, but it's a green vegetable. So it has other things going for it as well there. Kale is kind of trendy. That's not really, I'll do it. I actually prefer uh, collard greens because my family's from the South. So again, a leafy green vegetable has all the good stuff in there. Just a different approach to that. And then I'm a big fan, and it's not a vegetable per se. I'm a big fan of beans. Beans, any, any type of beans really, I think are a fantastic addition. Also characteristic I, of uh, coming from the South. Yep. Fiber, you know, high density, of high concentration of fiber, complex carbohydrates, protein. So there's a lot going on there. Also, again, pretty easy to cook with that. I'm trying to think about the craziest vegetable that I eat that maybe catch you off guard here. A golden beet, maybe, or a regular beet, even. Yeah, beets. I, I, I don't mind a beet. Uh, well I can... We know that they uh, they have a performance benefit uh, right off the bat. Even um, so, there's the acute I, supplementation mm -hmm. of beets that gives you um, an endurance benefit, and then there's also the chronic uh, consumption of beets, and that can give you a um, an increase in type two A fibers relative to type two X fibers. And that's very recent research, actually, in the last couple of years. Is if you have beet juice or eat beets regularly. You, you have higher type 2A fibers if you do high-intensity intervals relative to someone who just does high-intensity intervals. And we know type 2A fibers are very beneficial to cyclists. And if you talk about color, I mean, beets have color to them. If you, cut, if you ever cut a beet, it looks like you drew blood somewhere. It's a very uh, vibrant color there. Yeah, and so that's another great example of the, the color indicating some sort of health benefit. I think the, uh, the other fruit that popped into my mind was uh, kiwis. And kiwis actually help thin your blood. And I think there was one study that kiwis thin your blood better than an aspirin protocol would. And once again, we don't really know why, but uh, thinner blood allows it to flow better, which could potentially help 
oxygenate your muscles better. And um, that's something that's on a short list for quite a few cyclists is making sure that you get enough Kiwis. Maybe that's why the New Zealand and Australian cyclists are so much so talented. Uh, yeah, so much faster than all of us. So another food that I'll throw out, you mentioned it briefly, but ginger and turmeric essentially look the same. If you look at the root, one's a little bit darker than the other, but I like those as a spice for my, for my food and getting the skin, the root. I think you're touching on a good point here, which is it's not just that knowing these foods exist, it's knowing how to cook with them. And I think that's the big task. That's the task that we have for the listeners today is figuring out how to cook these foods so that they're palatable for you. And you are allowed to ditch some foods that are hailed as very healthy, very nutrient dense. If they just don't work for you, that's okay. But at the same time, you should have a solid, like I said, 10 foods that you know how to use regularly and you know how to fit them into your diet. So how, how does that work? You can either experiment, if that's more your style, uh, throw some turmeric, throw some ginger on your food, see what happens. Or if you're not so adventurous, there may be ways to use YouTube or uh, potentially take a cooking class locally. Uh, not right now. I don't think there's any cooking classes during COVID, but um, there are opportunities to learn how to use these, these different foods in your diet. And I think that's the key here is not just knowing that, that they exist, but you have to actually take the time to figure out how they integrate into your current diet. Yeah, it's no fun if you're trying to choke something down because you convinced yourself that this beet or this ginger or turmeric or garlic or whatever it is, is going to make you ride faster. You, you can do that for a while, but it's not going to be sustainable. So finding that right way to mix it into your food and make it work for you is super important. So I think that's going to ultimately drive the consistency that you need to really see a benefit. Because I think a lot of these studies aren't going to show you a benefit. Well, I had garlic one night my testosterone is going to be higher. That's probably not the way that study was run. You probably need to have garlic for some time before you're going to see a positive effect. Right. And so circling back to our original idea here, which is let's talk about how micronutrients fit into the diet of a cyclist. The big point is here, we don't really know as a society what micronutrients do. So there are some micronutrients that we know are essential and if you don't eat them, you have poor body function, but there are another set of micronutrients that make your body work better. And I think for the most part, a lot of these micronutrients don't have a downside. Um, there are actually a few of the B vitamins that I saw studies on that actually made riders slower when they took too many B vitamins, but all these plant-based chemicals don't slow you down. You know, Eating extra vegetables isn't gonna make you slower. There are some micronutrients that you need. There are other micronutrients that'll make you faster. And if you just want what you need, you actually probably don't really need to try and supplement. If you just want these essential nutrients, you've probably made it this far without being deficient in any of them. But if we're gonna use micronutrients to see a performance benefit, we really wanna focus on the second type, which are these plant-based micronutrients that we can figure out how to add into our diet. And to your point, I don't think you're going to, unless you only eat a very specific fruit or vegetable all the time, 
get to a point with a micronutrient where you're going to cause yourself harm as long as you're mixing and matching. Whereas with supplements, it's easy to take one more or get a mega dose of a certain micronutrient, especially when we're talking about things that are measured in milligrams or micrograms, these small units. When you're consuming food, just the pure volume of the food makes it hard to get into that zone. Again, unless you just ate carrots for a week straight, then maybe we have a problem, but we probably have some other problems there yeah, and, as well. Well, from a performance benefit, if you only eat carrots, you're missing out on those nine other uh, foods that are going to give you a performance mm -hmm. benefit. And so it, the variety exists there so that you don't take too, too much of a micronutrient, but it also makes sure that you cover all or a lot of these potential micronutrients. So the other point I had that you touched on a little bit is when I think uh, turmeric is the best example of this. We know that the main chemical, so turmeric helps with uh, in inflammation. It decreases inflammation, as does ginger and garlic. And the main nutrient is curcumin. That's the one that they've taken out of the other uh, nutrients. They've isolated curcumin. They've given it to people. They've seen a decrease in inflammation. But here's the thing. If, if you give someone turmeric and the dosage of curcumin is the same, versus just curcumin, they get more inflammation decrease if they eat the turmeric, if they eat the real food. And so the point here is, again, actually, it's more effective. You get a better use of those micronutrients if you eat the food as opposed to just the extraction of the chemical. And so that's another point to make is food is a better delivery system. It's, you know, it's weird how nature gives us these nutrients in a very easily digestible form. It's almost like we've adapted to, to digest them and use them. And so I think food is, is, this is another reason why food is a better pathway to getting these micronutrients than just taking a supplement. Have you ever read Omnivore's Dilemma? Uh, no. So it's a good book at some point. You and listeners should give it a read. But he gets to the end and... He boils down this simple mantra, and I'm going to screw it up, but it, it basically is his advice on a proper diet, which is something along the lines of, you know, eat real food, just to say not processed natural foods, not much, again, like a portion control thing. So this may not apply, he's more talking general public, may not apply necessarily to second population, and mostly plants. It's like three liner of how to break down this entire book that he talked about the food system and how we get food and everything. But it's sort of interesting that we're triangulating towards that. Eat, eat real food. Yes. Mostly plant things that we're talking about. And then the volume of course is a little different for uh, reasons of energy expenditure and such. Yeah. I think that's a great summary and uh, hopefully uh, the listeners can better understand how the micronutrients fit in. I know Alberto Contador in um, his rebuttal against his doping allegations, he mentioned that he had a list of 31 supplements that he used. And of course, everyone is like, what is he using? Why does he have 31 supplements? Like what's going on? And everyone kind of got on the supplement train. There was more discussion and hype around figuring out what he was using. Obviously, he's a very good cyclist. He probably has something above us and it actually eventually fizzled out because 
Well, because we can just eat real food and, and get that same effect. And so if we can increase our nutrient density, that's really the big takeaway is the micronutrients come from the food, get a bunch of foods, try them out, try to diversify your diet by experimenting and learning what works for you. And it definitely takes time, but if you can learn to have 10, it would be great if you could have 15 or even 20 of these natural, healthy, plant-based foods integrated into your diet. I'm sure you'll see some performance benefits over bread and water and you know a little piece of chicken or something. And, and actually, while we're on that topic, I know a lot of um, weightlifters, that's sort of their stereotypical diet is like white rice, broccoli, and uh, lean chicken. And that's like their cutting diet. And like you're asking for some micronutrient issues by just eating that every dinner. So that's interesting. That's a different sport than us. But there are definitely cyclists who they eat so much bread. They eat so much uh, white rice. And you got to be worried about doing that for six months, a year, two years at a time. because Your body just doesn't function as well as if you get a, a large variety of foods. I'll just throw a little tip that I came across in the last couple of years out there, which is if you have trouble with that, of picking vegetables or you're not sure you get overwhelmed in the produce section of which one of these things should I do? Doing a, a CSA box, a local agricultural box that's seasonal will force you to do that. You pay and they deliver you the seasonal fruits and vegetables. And then you have this fun experiment of figuring out what the heck do I do with this vegetable I've never seen before in my life? And you'll you'll learn whether you like it or not. You'll learn a little bit about cooking along the way. And I'll tell you, for me personally, even though I felt like I ate a lot of vegetables, I certainly have learned in the last year and a half or so vegetables that I'd never seen before. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Actually, that's kind of good. I like that. I'm, I'd like to eat more of that. So that's one way to do it. Yes. Uh, so CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And so you give them $20 a week or something and they send you a box. And um, yeah, I think it's great. It's also good for bonding with your partner. If you have someone that you live at home with and you guys can both stare at the, uh, the new vegetable and say, what do we do with this thing? Um, so <laughs> yeah, that can be a good option for sure. So Todd, that's all I have for this topic. Hopefully we, we hit the goal. Um, there is the opportunity to look into more specific foods and I can pull up some studies on specific foods that could be potentially beneficial to cycling specifically. Um, if you guys are interested in that, you can get in touch on Twitter or email or even the contact form on our website. Those are all in the show notes. So if you want to get in touch, if you want us to maybe a pre-lab or maybe a longer episode on some foods that you know we can put a star next to, we did include a lot in this episode, um, get in touch, let us know. And uh, if you like the show, give us a review, give us a share on social media or with your friends, and hopefully we can get a few more bike nerds out here who uh, enjoy our content and hopefully are getting faster by listening. So Todd, do you have anything else? Well, I guess I have to add to my usual advice, which is to keep the rubber side down. And in addition, make sure you have a colorful plate at each meal. Until next time.